You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Julia Felsenthal. Julia, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Julia, we're talking about your show that's running through July 21st of this year. We're talking on July 6th in 2023. Uh, the, the show is at JDJ in Tribeca uh, Gallery, and the title of the show is The Lasso Mania, which I had to look up, but that's uh, a love of the ocean. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a word that's widely in circulation. I think I first encountered it in an interview somebody did with the painter Pat DeGroote. Um, and it was, you know, I think it was not even uh, Pat's answer. I think it was in the interviewer's question, but I just filed it away because I love the word. But I think it actually has a, a slightly um, more pointed meaning, like not just love of the ocean, but sort of obsessive love of the ocean. Um, I guess that's the mania part. Um, right, and right. I border, like, border, bordering on like neuroses or something, like yeah. completely obsessed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that I think is why it really resonated with me because this body of work that I've um, made for this show and been making for a few years, it became, has become such a sort of obsessive practice for me. Um, and it, it calls to mind all these questions about like what what is healthy? Where's the where's the border between health and you know something that's become unhealthy as a habit? Um, and I think that that sort of resonates also with a lot of ideas that we have around being near water and looking at water and what that can do for us. So let's talk about that being near water, being around water. And, and what it can do for us, you're on Cape Cod, right? Part of this is, I mean, it would seem to me that, you know, too much of, of looking at the ocean is like too much meditation. I can't see how you could go wrong there. <laughs> but, um, but tell me a little bit about it. You, you live on Cape Cod, correct, near the water? Yeah, I live on Cape Cod half the time. We literally spend two weeks out of every month here and two weeks out of every month in New York. Um, and... I am near the water, and I. this series of paintings really began during COVID when we, um, you know, if were here more than um, we ever had been. And um, so I was thinking a lot about what, what constituted a healthy life and what I could do in this period that was so, um, you know, incredibly anxiety producing to maintain my own mental health. And, but I also was thinking about how the paintings I'd been making prior to COVID were about people. Um, and suddenly I had no access to people at all because it, I was very isolated up here. And then also, uh, Generally, we were trying to limit our, our exposure to other people. And so the, I began painting the water really because it was the thing that was in front of me and I didn't know what else to paint. And I thought I was going to go crazy if I didn't find something new. Um, and I really, so, but it, you know, so it was this period of time when I was just 
really focused on maintaining my own health and thinking so much about how lucky I was to have access to this thing um, that people, you know, didn't necessarily get to look at, but I got to look at. But then also thinking about how nature at that moment seemed utterly terrifying and processing a lot of those contradictions. And it sort of started to come out in these paintings. That's interesting because, uh, I mean, I never thought, I guess I do think of the ocean as both, you know, beautiful. I mean, these, these watercolors are, are these paintings are, are very beautiful and, and initially very kind of have a sense of calm to them. But as you talk about it, what, you know, there's also this sense of, and maybe I'm reading into what you're saying, I am reading into it, but this idea of the ocean also as something, and nature, you know, in this context of a pandemic, also being something um, quite terrifying. The ocean, of course, is um, is a dangerous place, right? There's there's different colors in these images where we see, you know, what to me looks like different depths as the blue gets darker or the green gets darker, and um, and the ocean itself is something at once beautiful and calming and also terrifyingly powerful. Is, is, is that part of what you're saying went into this or, or no? Is oh, this, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. I, I'm like a city, I'm a total city person. Um, <laughs> and um, I feel awe and also a lot of discomfort in nature. Um, and on the Cape in particular, a place that people come to because of the water. There's, you know, this is pretty intense water. The things, um, you know, if you go in the ocean here, you're, uh, it's pretty wild and there are definitely great white sharks around. And, um, you know, that's something that, that I think people think about a lot when they go in the water here. And I think about a lot when I go in the water here. Um, But I think that when I, I think people can receive these paintings however they want. They can find them calming or they can find them sort of uh, daunting or, or eerie. I think there's an eeriness in a lot of these. But when I make them, it's about trying to wrap my head around all of those things. And um, and then also trying to wrap my head around the process of making a painting of something that I think of as sort of uniquely difficult to paint. It's so let's yeah let's talk about that process a little bit because you know if you're painting a landscape or you're painting you know figure you have a figure to draw on in the landscape to draw on. When you're painting the ocean or ocean and sky, ocean, land and sky, the, the kind of dominant thing that you're painting, the water, is changing constantly. You're not really, it's not like you're working from photographs, are you or are you? Because the, the, the process of just capturing a wave in itself is... Uh, not like plein air painting where you're looking at a landscape and yeah. and trying to reproduce it. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I do use photographic references, but they're not direct, like, copies of photographs. There's so much that sort of informs the end product, most of which is, I mean, a lot of which is looking and remembering and also trying to, like, trying to remember the feeling that I had while looking. Um, so there definitely are photographic references for each of these paintings, usually not one photograph, usually a, a series of photographs and some videos also. Um, but I, I think that, so one crucial element is that they're watercolors. So there's this sort of, um, I don't know, I love the idea that I'm making paintings of water using water. And that that seems so intuitive and easy, and in fact, it's incredibly challenging. I always think watercolor gets this reputation um, as a medium for sort of like free-flowing, loose people. But in my experience, it's really like for incredibly anal people who, uh, you know, need to embrace this sort of level of control and um, even... I don't know, masochism. <laughs> um, but in terms of the process, you know, it, it, I think that I wasn't for a long time able to make paintings that got to the point where I wanted them to get that really like looked the way I wanted them to look. And I had to develop this whole vocabulary of mark making that I didn't necessarily know prior to making these. Like a lot of how I make these paintings is by actually removing paint. So laying down a lot of watercolor and then um, extract it, you know, using a brush to sort of uh, erase. And um, I, I have a very specific brush that I like to use, which is this quarter inch angle shader that um, sort of allows you to swipe in the shape of the um, like the texture that's on a wave. So figuring that out was a big deal. Um, but, but that removes, you're talking about a subtractive process. That removes something, uh, I would think watercolor is only additive. How, no. how is that subtractive? How, how does that work? So you, you get your brush really wet and you just sort of scrub and blot and scrub and blot. And it's very, very arduous and sort of, um, I don't know, like you can, I mean, there's actually other ways. Like there, I have a lot of techniques that I use to remove paint, some of which are even just taking an X-Acto knife and taking the top layer of the paper off. Um, but I, when I started to realize that these were paintings in, that were sort of relied on erasure, it really unlocked something for me about transparency and how you can actually, um, how you can evoke it, which, you know, it, it's, um, they're very complicated to make. And I, I see each one, each one, which somebody recently said to me after going to the show that they were really amazed by how different each of these paintings was in terms of technique. And I was really touched that they noticed that because the truth is each one is a, is a little bit of an experiment in how to 
nail down something I saw. And they are very different because I had to figure, each one had to be figured out in that way individually. That's so interesting. So let's get into some of them individually because, um, yeah, these these do feel like there's very different approaches to one of them. One that really uh, caught my attention was called Ghost Sea in Ezraite and Terravert. And um, this is unusual because we don't really have a horizon here. We have to kind of imagine the horizon. It's It looks like maybe it's one of those kind of incredibly foggy days. I'm not sure. But it's interesting because... Most of the canvas is um, is not water. It's it's a, a kind of a, a sky that's cloudless, and um, and go see is, is is also kind of um, terrifying in some way. <laughs> you know, it's a, <laughs> uh, what, what 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 is that? And so yeah, to talk about this one in terms of uh, approach and even content, this feels almost. You know, I mean, I guess they are. You could say they're all narrative in a way, but this one feels like it has a story to tell. Mm, yeah, well, this is – so I, I love this one, first of all. It's definitely one of my favorite, and it's one that people in, who've seen the show have really responded to. But this is such a Cape weather reality. Um, I would say the last month, every single day, has looked like this. Um, I mean, every single day that I've been here looking. But, um, you know, we get these incredibly heavy, dense uh, fogs that roll through often in the morning, and the horizon completely disappears. And um, I love, I just love that uh, sense that the sea is sort of emerging out of nothingness. And it really something about all of these paintings is that the way that I evoke the water and the way that I evoke the sky are just totally different. And another thing that comes up when I look at that painting is I had a show of water paintings on the Cape two years ago, and it was a very different body of work. There were, the, I thought of the paintings as much more narrative there was sky, there was water, and then there was always a wave breaking in the front. And I really loved those paintings, but at the end of that show, I thought, okay, I really understand how to make these, but what I don't understand is what if you took the wave away and you made a painting where nothing was happening? That's a much harder painting to make interesting. And so that was sort of the prompt I had in mind when I started creating the body of work that eventually went into this show. And I see this painting as, I don't know, sort of the, you know, (laughs) epitome of that idea. It's how do you make something interesting where it's almost completely abstract and there's almost nothing to ground you in this painting. There's nothing, there's no horizon line. There's just this fade and then this sense of airiness up top and this, um, I don't know, strangely plasticky water down below. And, and so it becomes really distilled into being a painting about texture. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, very beautiful. And, um, 
there's there's another one. I mean, there's of course several in here that we could talk about. There's one that I ended up looking at a lot called Dancing Chop, and in this image, um, there's a couple of things. One is that it it, it also it kind of reminds me after we're talking now of that kind of the depth, the danger of the ocean. It looks to me like the foreground being you know darker water, like so beautifully rendered as as well as the the green in the background is is it's about depth, right? There's two different depths here, it seems. But also the waves themselves, this idea of a dancing chop, these aren't like rolling waves coming into a shore um, or not in the foreground. These are waves that seem to also have a life to their own, which I've only seen, I think, when you're like out in the water somewhere, like out in a boat in the water. This isn't like what you see on the shore. These are kind of like swells coming back and forth, right? Something like that. It's a very unusual energy and movement compositionally, but also in terms of what it actually is. It's it's very unusual how waves can crest and foam on their own without having that kind of, you know, very symmetrical rolling the way they do at the shore. Yeah. this. I mean, a lot of these paintings are informed by um, things I've seen from the middle of the bay in a little power boat that we have that we tool around in. Um, and this one you've correctly identified as one of those. I, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of influences on these works. And I would say that, um, you know, the, the ones that I often cite are Pat DeGroote, a Cape painter who made these wonderful paintings of Cape Cod Bay that were palette knife paintings that are formally really similar to mine, but look quite different. And then Via Salmons, who made those incredible, like, pencil drawings uh, of the surface of water. But I also <laughs> have this print um, that I absolutely love by a German maritime painter of the 19th century whose name I'm going to screw up his last name or it's an incredibly long name but the the important components of it are um, Schnars Elquist is his last name and I don't think of myself at all in the tradition of these sort of romantic maritime painters but I absolutely love this print that I have that more than any painting I've ever seen, I mean, it's based on painting, but more than ever, anything I've ever seen really puts you in the center of the action in terms of the ocean. Like, it, it feels like a painting that could only be made, you know, Turner-style, like, uh, lashed to the mast of a ship. Um, and so this is a little bit of my homage to that, I think. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about since this show went up and trying to think about how, um, I don't know, where this goes or where I want to go next is I've been, there's a little island um, across from uh, our house up here and I've been trying to swim to the island every day and just think about how immersing yourself in the water might change one's vantage point and do something sort of equivalent to the idea of being, you know, out in the middle of the ocean on a boat, but from a, you know, totally different perspective. I think I'm, I'm sort of inspired 
in the doing that by like Tracy Emin and um, I don't know other much more ambitious, courageous uh, ocean swimmers, <laughs> but mm. that's kind of my version. But yeah, I think a lot of these are are trying to find novel perspectives on the water, whether that's in terms of my mark or in terms of my vantage point. Um, just like I think another one that um, expresses that is Oversea, Undersea, um, which is a painting that looks at both the surface of the water and underneath the surface of the water. Um, so you're actually seeing the, you know, it's shallow water and you're seeing the texture of the waves on top and you're seeing the texture of the sea floor. I'm always looking for things that I haven't tried to depict yet. Well, I tell you, that's so, that's so uh, kind of fascinating, that, that way of getting the perspective out of the water. And um, the other artist references you mentioned, I want to thank you for talking to me about this show and, and urge listeners to go see the show before it closes. And, and there's links here for that. I, I also want to ask you one more question, uh, a little off topic. I'm always curious, what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, so I do a lot of listening to books because I listen to books while I paint. Um, and I have this sort of possibly uh, misguided sense that I have to, that I'm going to like use up my eyes eventually making these very small, very detailed paintings so I shouldn't waste them on reading. So I'll tell you what I'm listening to, which is um, I just finished The Wager by David Gran, which is this incredible um, narrative nonfiction book that just came out about a um, British uh, ship that goes down and the sort of, um, or the, that sinks and the, you know, horrible things that happen to its crew uh, while they're marooned on an island and then their attempt to get back to their lives and, and what happens once they make it back to um to England. Um, and then I'm also listening to In the Woods by Tana French, who's an Irish uh, mystery writer. And I feel like after the wager, I wanted something extremely um, light and engaging. And it's sort of perfect to to listen to this wet Irish <laughs> mystery while making these uh, water paintings in my studio. I love that. I love both the sound of both of those. I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. It's really been a pleasure, Julia, and I wish you well with the, the rest of the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It was such a wonderful conversation. Thanks for your questions. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.